Hi there. You're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 261. We have one focus. It's on truffles. We're 100% wholesale, 100% truffles. We are the people who make truffles for the people who sell truffles to the people who love truffles. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, Gift Biz Gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and I'm really happy to have you here with me today. As we continue to hunker down at home, balance becomes more and more important. Today, I have a happy, feel-good business story to share with you, and it's coming at the perfect time. I want this podcast to provide optimism, balance, and a place of peace right now. And I want you to know that you can come here and have a semblance of normalcy. It's good for our brains and our spirits. I think making sure our businesses are healthy and solid will become a more renewed focus once our lives return to normal. A new normal, perhaps. In this show, you're going to hear conversation about three things that should exist in your business. We're going to talk about the importance of defining clear lines of responsibility for each employee and why it's important to stay true to this structure. We cover how to get strength, clarity, and focus by narrowing in on your product of expertise and your target market. And we talk about why Burn Chocolates of Vermont isn't on social media yet and how and why they plan to approach this in the future. I wish I could give you a delicious, beautiful chocolate truffle right now while you sit back and join us in this chat. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Julia Byrne Fields of Byrne Chocolates. Julia and her husband, Mel, are the fourth generation owners of Byrne Chocolates of Vermont. Julia's great-grandfather started making confections in 1915 in New Jersey, and in 1991, her father and uncle moved the business to Vermont. Julia and Mel are humbled by the opportunity to continue crafting truffles using her family's 100-year-old recipes. The couple started working in the family business in 2010, and in 2016, they took over the reins as the new owners. Deciding to join the family business was one of the most influential decisions of Julia's life. Working with her father, uncle, and husband on a daily basis has proven to be some of the most rewarding work she's ever done, but also the most challenging. Each family member brings a variety of value to the team. It's definitely a mixing pot of experiences, learning styles, and personalities. Her father and uncle are now retired, but many of their long-term employees have stayed on and are very excited to see what the future brings. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say, Julia. Welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Well, thank you so much, Sue. I'm so happy to be here with you. Your journey is so rich in information. I can't wait to get into it. I know a little bit about it. But before we dive in and you tell me all about it and our listeners get to know too, I want to start out by having you describe yourself in a little bit of a different way, and that's through a motivational candle. It just gives us a different peek into what you're all about, if you will. So if you were to describe a motivational candle, what color and quote would be on your candle? So I have two that I've kind of come up with here, and one, I guess, would be create your own sunshine. I feel like I'm a very positive person and that is something that comes easily to me. So it would be a colorful candle, kind of like a rainbow. And that is what would be on it, that quote. I love it. Being a super positive person that I am, this quote like totally resonates with me too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. And we actually, funnily enough, we just started a quote board last week in our employee break room. So this is very kind of at the front of my thought 
process these last couple of weeks. And so we've been coming up with quotes of the week and employees are encouraged to submit quotes and we put them on the board and talk about them and hope that they resonate with each individual employee throughout the week. That is such a cool idea. Because also, I think, depending on what happened the prior week, like let's say you had some challenges or something happened, you know, it's a nice way to reset your thinking as you're going into the next week. Exactly. I love that. Did you say you had a second one? I do. And that is the only the present moment contains life. And that is something that's really resonated with me lately. We can get really caught up in the past and focused on the future. But every day, just focusing on today, and that is what we have and what we should celebrate and kind of bringing into stay positive because this is it. So those both really kind of keep me going every day. I love that. Were both of these quotes on the quote board at some point? Not yet. (laughs) Ooh, they're on their way. (laughs) I love it. So only the present moment contains life. I think is super special to our listeners too, because when you're starting your business, some people are in a full-time job right now and they're looking at starting later. Some people are in the midst of it and you're at a point where all the things that you thought were possible, you're working on them, working on them, working on them, but now you're in the muck of the business, right? For good and bad. So it's just embrace where you are at the time. Exactly. I have not heard either of these, and I really like both of them. So thank you for sharing them. (laughs) Of course. Thank you. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning. So burned chocolates has been in your family for a long time. It has, yes. Your whole life, (laughs) really. (laughs) So what was your progression? Did you always know you were going to join the family business? Or talk us through how this all happened. Sure. So no, this was never the plan. The chocolate business has always been in my family, as you mentioned earlier in the intro, that in 1915, my great-grandfather started making confections. So it's always been a part of me. As a child, I obviously didn't realize how special it was, but it was great going to birthday parties and events with school. I always had a box of seconds. That was what I brought with me everywhere. So you were the most popular person in school. Let's just admit it. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit debatable whether I had real friends or they just wanted the chocolate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that goes all the way up through college because my dad would send me boxes in college. I would have truffles in my room. People would come by and just grab them and leave. And so it was just kind of my thing always, never really realizing it until looking back and reflecting. Always a, a craft box, cardboard craft box with seconds. And that's the ones that aren't perfect enough to sell, but still taste great, have even extra chocolate or decoration on them, usually stuck together. So you grab one, it's really two or three. That's a bummer. (laughs) Really, it is. Yes, what my friends and family all would probably associate with me and growing up kind of in my kind of circle. So that was kind of my dad. I have memories of him coming home from work and smelling like chocolate. And as a baby, I would lick his face um, because he smelled so so good. And I would you know, come home from work and he'd pick me up and I would just lick his face because it was chocolate. So it was definitely a huge part of my life, but we never really talked about it in a way of this was going to be my future and this was the expectation. My mom was not in the business. She was a nurse. So she had her own career. So it's a little bit less potentially all encompassing that my mom and dad were full on in it. It wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. So you never felt any pressure. Exactly. I never felt any pressure. It was never really talked about as my future. It was never like, no, you shouldn't do this. It was just really not something that we discussed ever. But I was a part of the business. I worked in the company starting in high school. It was my first job was working in production at the chocolate factory. And so I've known a lot of the employees that are still here today. Since we moved from New Jersey to Vermont in 91, I was six years old and I would come in. I had my birthday parties at the factory. So we have some employees that are still here today that remember me when I was six. (laughs) So they've literally watched me grow up and now have stayed on and wanted to be a part of this and have really helped encourage me and lift me up. I've always felt very welcome here. And that's been a huge bridge and very encouraging for me to follow through with this plan in the end. So what were you thinking you would do? 
as you're thinking about your education and how you might progress, what were you thinking? I went to school to college for elementary education. So my degree is in elementary ed. I have taught. I love children. I love teaching. And that's absolutely my passion. When I found kind of that direction in college, I really, for the first time, felt very fulfilled. And this is what I want to do. When I moved back home from school, the positions here in Vermont are very tricky and limited. And a lot of times you have to wait for a teacher to retire. So I worked at Sugarbush. I was a ski instructor. I still was able to use my degree teaching children how to ski. And I also got to ski a lot. And it was kind of a great world, two worlds combined there. But it wasn't the traditional classroom. It wasn't a career necessarily or what I was thinking would be. So I did that. That's where I ended up meeting my husband, Mel. And it kind of progressed from there. So you guys met on the slopes. We did. Yes. He was a snowboard instructor. I was a ski instructor. Love it. Okay. So then what? So then we were living the life. We were skiing every day. We would, in the summertime, I was landscaping, he was building houses. We ended up finding a caretaking position on a private island on Lake Champlain here in Vermont. And that was a dream job. We lived on an 87 acre private island. We were the caretakers. We were primarily there alone for the week and the owners would come every weekend and we would help keep the grounds and we would cook and clean and do everything in between. We would work on the boats and drive people and we were part of the culture there and it was incredible. But again, it wasn't like this is a career. This was just a fun opportunity that we had. And so my dad was kind of looking in from the sidelines and saying, okay, this is all great, but what is your plan? Like, what do you really see yourself doing in the future? And are you going to teach? Are you going to, you know, where do you see yourself? And that's when really the first time he ever mentioned the business to me. And I was, I think, 21. And he said, what's your plan? We're talking about secession. We're talking about our future. My dad and talking about himself and my uncle, his brother, and they co-owned the company at the time. And so I said, well, I've never thought about that. What would that look like? I don't have any siblings and my uncle doesn't have any children. So it was really on me. If they were going to pass it down to the next generation, that was the only option. Otherwise, they would sell the business. So those were kind of two options. So if I were to talk to your father right now, would he say that that was always in the back of his mind? I would think that possibly, yes. It seems like it would be the obvious. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the only option, honestly. So as far as keeping it in the family, they were the third generation. So I think, of course, he must have thought about this. So what would he say about the fact, because he must have consciously not tried to place that idea in your mind. He let you do and pursue what naturally felt right for you, which I think is so honorable. Correct. That's why this worked. Like if there would have been pressure, you might not have ever wanted to do it. Exactly. Yes. I think he was quite strategic in his <laughs> plan. Did you guys ever have conversations about it? Not previously. Really, no. I never thought it wasn't an option, but I never considered it as really an option. It just didn't really come up and it was really his thing. And I knew how much he worked. And it was, I guess, looking back, it was always on the table. But again, it just was really never brought up. And I, I guess it was strategic. I think my dad really believed in supporting me what, and for me to really exploring what that might be. So giving me the tools, the resources, the support, but not really saying, hey, what about this? He really wanted me to explore that, at least through my education. And then after college is really when that's when the conversation came up. I see. Okay, so he laid out what this would look like and what was going through your mind at that point. I just have to say, I kind of feel not in a weird way. So but I kind of feel like this is a similar version of asking for a hand in marriage. You know? <laughs> With a different twist, of course. Right. I mean, it is it's kind of this is the future. This is what it would be. Would you honor this? And we always joke fourth generation, no pressure. <laughs> the first woman in the family, no pressure at all. So I 
was very hesitant. I was excited, but also did not think really that this was going to work out. And I still didn't think that this would be my future. But I did for the first time in my life want to honor the opportunity and explore it seriously instead of me just dismissing it and then having my dad and uncle sell the business and then later on in life saying, what if? Right. That's what I wanted to avoid. For sure. For sure. So were you and Mal married yet? We were engaged. Oh, okay. So the plan was set there. (laughs) (laughs) But again, there was a lot going on that year. So we were engaged. We decided to come into the family business and give it a try. We said we would do it for a year. Mel and myself, we always knew we wanted to work together. That was something that we had met working at Sugarbush. We then were caretakers of this island and we worked very well together. We both have very different strengths and together combined, we're a pretty strong unit. And so we knew we wanted to work together. That was very clear to us. We also managed a restaurant prior together for a season. And that was definitely, we knew we wanted to work together, but we didn't know exactly what we were going to do. And we felt pretty inspired by getting various jobs together, like the caretaking position, managing a restaurant. We were going to maybe go be deckhands on a boat and travel the world. Like we were young and very inspired and very much feeling like the world was our oyster and we could do anything. And then my dad kind of brought us back to reality and said, well, hey, what about this? What about the family business? So that was a big switch for us. We were very much used to working outside, having quite a bit of flexibility with our schedule, having a seasonal change in our work. And so coming in to a full-time position inside year round with the same crew was very different for us and was a little bit daunting, but we also valued the history and what this meant and realized that this could be an incredible opportunity for us. Okay. So both of you at the same time entered into the business. Yes. And so how did your father start to integrate you in? I mean, everyone knew you, obviously, and you were very familiar with the business from a certain perspective, right? Right. I can definitely demold. I can pick. I can do all of the jobs of production very well. I was very confident in that. And so we started in production. We were production workers. We were hired help. We were coming in at a very base level, like anyone else off the street would be brought in and learning the ropes. So I definitely had a hand up against Mel. He was coming in as the newbie. I knew a lot of the skills, a lot of the positions, but still not doing this as a summer intern or a summer employee. It was, we really want to learn your position. We want to learn your hardships. We want to know what's challenging about your job. And we also want to know what you love about it. And really coming in really just to learn the positions and with no other agenda other than that. So we were in production, we were working on the line, we were doing gift boxes, we were in the kitchen, we were in shipping. So we really got a handle and we learned, and this was really important to my dad and to my uncle and to us specifically, most importantly to us, is to learn from each employee and to come in on an equal level and to really respect their job, their position, and have them teach us as they are the expert. They've been doing this position, some of them for 20 years. Right. So did they all know that the ultimate goal was that you guys were going to take over the business? It was never explained to them in that way. But I think they kind of probably speculated that that was what was happening. Exactly. And I was afraid coming in as the boss's daughter and essentially my boyfriend or truly fiance at the time. We were worried about the perception and how people may treat us. And we were only met with open arms and extreme excitement. And everyone took us in and really accepted us. And that was a huge, something that we weren't quite sure how people would react. But I think they understood that my dad and uncle were getting older, that this wasn't going to be forever. And not knowing the future is very scary if we sold what would happen And seeing the next generation come in, it was a positive wave. Their jobs were probably safe 
with you and Mel coming in versus if someone brand new took over the business or you got acquired by another brand. Right. That's more scary and unknown and seeing a familiar face and knowing that the next generation was at least interested. I think that was kind of understood, silently understood in a way. Right. But that is great that you were met with such a positive nature by everybody. I'm sure that's why we're still here. (laughs) If it was met with a lot of people, a defense mechanism or resistance at all, then I think it would have been a lot more challenging to accept the position and want to move forward. But our job really did transition into learning from each employee and then saying, hey, well, what about if we did this? And Mel is very technical. He's really understands machinery. His background is in music, but also audio engineering. So he is an engineer at heart. And so he was able to implement different things with the machinery, with the computer systems that helped everyone out. And so he was automatically in. (laughs) He was able to make people's jobs easier and more enjoyable. And so therefore that gained loyalty from the get-go. So that was really important. Right. Well, and that's just a good point in and of itself. Change can also be improvement. Right. So things can get better, especially because you guys were so shoulder to shoulder, really understanding what was going on and coming from a different perspective from your father who had been in it for so long. So that's great to hear. So how long were you doing this where you were really engaging and integrating into every single area before you started taking over? So I would say it was a few years, we had come in with the assumption of one year kind of trial period. And that year flew by and we were all into the next and then the third before we really even had a conversation with my dad and uncle. We weren't really great about keeping to our timeline. And it was just with a business and with especially a family business things, you wear so many hats and you really are pulled in so many different directions. And we were very busy and the need was very much there. We didn't realize how our past and our experiences would be so helpful. And so there was just so much to take on. And as you had just mentioned, coming in with just a different perspective and we were able to make some changes and that just kind of snowballed. And then we started taking over more responsibility. So it then kind of divided from Mel was really focused on the machinery side of things, the IT side of things. And I migrated more towards marketing, customer service and sales. So that still remains kind of the divide. We didn't figure out how to really cleanly divide things until later on, which I'll talk about later. But that's how it naturally happened, because those are more of our strengths. And there was opportunity in both courts. So that was probably from 2010 to 2015, I would say a good five years where we were just learning and then starting to implement and taking everything in and really organically, it all kind of fell into place. Okay. And at what point then along the way, so you said about three years in, you saw that, okay, we're going to take over. Like this plan is working. Looks like it's all coming together. There's the whole element then of the books, right? The financials behind running the business. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sound, I don't know about Mel, but like you didn't have that background of, you know, P&Ls and all of that. So how did you tackle that? So we sat down with my dad and uncle and they walked us through it all. Mel is more inclined. He's had past experiences where he was dealing with books in different businesses. He actually owned his own business at one point. He was a web designer. He's lived a lot of different lives, (laughs) truthfully. So we learned from them. And then I took a business class. So it was really through being thrown into it. And then also I took a leadership course. I took a business course. And that was for me what I needed to feel strong about taking over. And that's when we really said to my dad and uncle, we're ready. And we were at that point established as, I guess, general managers. We were, we had an announcement with the crew probably three years in that we were officially now the general managers. If anyone had anything come to us, Bill and Jeff are transitioning into their part time retirement. And we are the people that you now directly report to. 
So we did that probably three years in. And then we went to my dad and uncle and said, okay, we're doing this and we're committed, but we're not going to feel as satisfied being managers forever. We want to talk about ownership. Okay, I'm going to stop you here for a second because there's a point I want all our listeners to catch from your story. Julia, a lot of times the people that I'm talking to don't start something that they really, really in their heart want to do because they don't have the business background or they don't know anything in your example about books. And I want to reinforce and underline the fact that you got the information that you needed as you needed it. And look at how successful you guys are today. Yes, we did not go to business school. We did not have a crash course even. It was getting thrown into it and you figure it out and you have your resources. And that's something that I can't kind of recommend highly enough is having a team and having people that you reach out to. I got really involved in the Chamber of Commerce, the business community, and reached out to people. I was asked to be on a board of other business owners. So we act as a board to each other. I ask questions, help me with this PL. I'm not understanding this. And they would talk me through it. So I would say most people really who end up businesses, and maybe it's not most, but I would say a very high number really didn't go to business school. This wasn't the plan. They just were passionate about something, which I think probably a lot of your listeners are. They have their makers and have a product that they feel very strongly about, but it is, how do I make this into a business? There's so many variables, so many parts of it, but I think just continuing on being loyal, being honest, paying your bills and learning and understanding that you're not supposed to know it all and you're not going to know it all and that's okay. So Julia and Mel are ready to have the ownership conversation. We'll hear how that goes right after a word from our sponsor. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or find packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. We kind of came to the table with my dad and uncle and said, we're ready to take over. And if you are not ready, then we might want to talk about training some new managers and doing something else. And it wasn't a threat. It sounds like it was, but it wasn't. We were truly going to be okay either way with whatever decision they made, but it was just coming to that decision that this is the crossroad here. Do you want to retire and have us take over ownership? And if so, there's a whole years that it took us to figure out how to do that. And if you want to remain owners for five, 10, however long your existence, that's wonderful. We support you. We understand. We will be here until you find someone to essentially run your business. But if you want to remain owners, we'll train them and make sure you're comfortable. And then we're going to go seek something else. So that was kind of the crossroads that we came to the understanding that we do want to run our own company, whether it be burn or something else. So we did feel strongly about that. So you were ready to take ownership and plot the next direction, if you will. I guess I'm curious and surprised that there'd be a question when your dad was the one who initially approached you with it in the first place. Yes, it was. I understand why that might be a little surprising, but it's also something this has been their life. This has been. So when it came kind of closer to that call, it was kind of like, well, wait a second. (laughs) I've built this. I've done this. And yes, they were also a generation, the next generation in their family, which was interesting and brought up a lot of emotion and seemingly felt like maybe they hadn't lived it 
it was very convoluted, emotional, just a wild time for all of us. But as it came kind of closer to that decision, it was harder for them. Well, I get it. It's a big step because it's also a big lifestyle change, too. Absolutely. And my uncle never had children. And this is absolutely his baby. And he's a little bit younger than my father. And it was harder for him to let go. And it was a big, big time. (laughs) Yeah. And it really stirred up a lot. So we said, all right, if you're not ready and this isn't what you want, they kind of wanted to remain owners for a while and have us manage. And that was something that we kind of said no to, essentially, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which wasn't easy. And I don't know that I would have been so direct if it wasn't for Mel and I as a unit and coming in feeling very strong and like we had all of the skills to do this. It would have been, I think, a little bit different if it was just me. But we did feel strongly and we did come up to them with a plan and say, this is what we're thinking. Let's just throw something on the table because otherwise we're going to just keep spinning our wheels here because this is just a lot Right. <laughs> in addition to running a business. How do we transition? How does this work? There are about 200 different ways to do that. Okay. So I'm on the edge of my seat. What <laughs> happens next? <laughs> So they decided, yes, I mean, this is a dream after many talks and walks and hikes. And we met all over, we would meet outside, we would meet out for lunch, just the four of us and talk about how we wanted this to go down and how to do it best. And what we all came to the table with is that we want everyone to feel like this was the best decision for our individual families, for our family unit as an extended family unit for our employees, for the health of the business. We wanted it all to work out and we didn't want anyone to feel taken advantage of. My dad and uncle have a great relationship, which is why it worked out for so many years together. And essentially they chose each other, but they also are brothers. And we came in and they, of course, didn't necessarily choose us. In a way they did asking us, but it's that family dynamic that is very challenging. It's you don't choose your family. And it's a blessing and a curse in the same aspect. And so working together, it was challenging and having four of us at the top, or as people who employees would go to, it was confusing. And that was kind of how we came to the crossroad that I spoke of earlier of just, we need to be more united and have a clear depiction of each of our roles because our employees are confused and they're going to ask Jeff for something that they know Jeff is going to say yes to and they're going to ask Julia for something. So they were almost the employees were kind of taking not advantage, but they were playing us a little bit as far as I know that this person's a little more lenient here and this person and there were just too many of us and Bill and Jeff were semi retired at the time. So they weren't here all the time. So it was really just clarity for the employees, clarity for our individual selves, and then also, of course, planning for the future. This is a really good point. And I think this is what you were alluding that we were going to get into later, and that later is now. (laughs) Right. So walk us through in a little more detail about this, because I think even for a small business, let's say you have three people working for you. It's really Mm -hmm. important to have an understanding of who has what primary functions. Right. Right. So as you were making this transition, so this is when you transitioned and took over ownership. Yeah. We can leave out a few of the little nuances, maybe. Right. But so how did you start defining who was doing what and getting that all figured out and then announced to the staff? So at first, this was in 2016, I think we are now. So that's when we transitioned ownership. And it was made very clear to the staff that Mel and myself were going to be the direct people. We didn't really tell them about the transition until I think the new year annual employee party and we made a big deal about it. We wanted to make sure everything went smoothly and make sure everyone on our end was happy. It was about a two-year process, this transition and meeting with attorneys and meeting with our financial people and making sure everything was going to work out. And everyone was feeling good about the business transaction, I guess. And so once Mel and I were the new owners, we held off telling the employees for a little bit until we settled in and we were very much a team and we were tackling everything together. 
that was exhausting and it wasn't dividing and conquering in our best way. And people were coming to both of us. So it was double the time of explaining things and they would grab us and we would always be available and we wanted to continue that. But we would then come up to our office or meet in the break room and say, okay, what about this? And they're like, oh, I already heard of that. And so we just felt like we were spinning our wheels and not really diving in at the best. We weren't being as productive as we felt we could be. Mm -hmm. So we ended up just saying, we need to divide. We need to say, what are your strengths? What do you want to do? What are your passions here? And where do you see yourself and kind of the positions that you would like to lead? And then we're going to explain that to our employees and say, okay, if you need to go to about HR, that's Julia. If it's about a machine, that's Mel. If it's about production, that's Mel. So really dividing our responsibilities was a huge kind of step in our ownership and management and realization that this is really how we're going to be our best here. I'm sure there was kind of a transition time then too, where people would still come to you for things that were now mouth. Absolutely. Still happens. <laughs> and so you guys stood strong in your positions, right? And said, well, go yes. to Julia for that or go to yes. Mel for this. Right. Because our initial reaction is like, okay, I'll make a decision right here. And that would happen. And then we would get together and say, well, I did do this. And so it was like, okay, we really have to understand that we have to stay strong and we have to stay in our lane in a way and say, this is really you. And we can, of course, talk and collaborate. And that's what we're here for. But that was really important for us and for our employees. Or else you would have just gone back to the old way it was. Exactly. Okay, so let's fast forward now to today. Let's talk about how fabulous the business is. I have to say your truffles are so artistic and gorgeous. And of course, tasty too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. Yes, that's the most important part. Well, it's also the attractiveness. I mean, they are so beautiful. It just attracts you to them right away. You know, when I see them on displays, it shows, etc. So share with us a little bit, if you were to represent Burns Chocolates of Vermont to someone for the first time, what would you say about the product? Well, thank you so much, first of all. <laughs> I would say that our business has transitioned over the years. And so in 1991, we became exclusive chocolate truffle manufacturers. So everything we make is a truffle. And that was really important to our business. My dad and uncle were very strategic with that because they wanted to create the best truffles out there. We have one focus. It's on truffles. We're 100% wholesale, 100% truffles. We came up with a slogan saying, we are the people who make truffles for the people who sell truffles to the people who love truffles. And our truffles are made with Vermont Fresh Heavy Cream. They're hand decorated. We make them fresh every day. What differentiates us from others in the truffle industry, we ship same day. Our product is always shipped fresh. We have over 150 varieties of truffles. It is everything we do here. So that's our business in a nutshell. And everything is focused on the truffles and the quality and getting them out as quickly as we can. Okay, so I have to say, you've just done me a huge service because I'm going to send people to this section of the clip over and over and over again. (laughs) Because when I'm coaching people, especially people who are starting out, they want to do all the things, right? Right. Let's stay within the chocolate making business, okay? So they're going to want to do truffles and they're going to want to do fudge and this, that, and everything because the thinking is that if they don't, they're going to limit their audience. So you did a couple of things here. It's only going to be truffles, and it's also only going to be wholesale. Now, I know that the company was still under your father and uncle's control at that time, but what's the thinking about limiting yourself in that way, and is it a limit? So you're talking to my audience now, and you're telling them the truth. Right. So (laughs) I do, I absolutely understand exactly what you just laid out. And that is the thinking of most people. It's we want to have the biggest variety and we want to reach the most people. But what we found is exactly the opposite of that. And so really having an exclusive focus has made us 
be as efficient as possible. So with efficiency, we are able to crank out a high quality product at a very fair price. So everything is about efficiencies. We have taken our one product, we have 150 varieties. So it's not like we have just the one truffle We've created the variety in the one mold. So we're using the same mold. Essentially, we have three different molds, different sizes, different shapes, but it's the same recipe. So we're giving a variety, but within these guidelines of it's the same recipe. So there we have the same raw ingredients. So we're able to buy in bulk. We're able to have volume discounts because we're buying the same ingredients for all of our offerings. We have the same boxes. We have the same trays. So everything is about efficiency across the board. We have one shipping container. We have one shipping box. So everything, thinking about that, really limiting the variety is really going to help you stay focused, help bring your price point down and force you to become the best at what you're doing. Right. The best. And I will add to that, then you are seen as the specialist. I mean, you are the specialist in truffles because that's what you do. And what we tell people is we have no other distractions. We do not have a retail store. We do not do turtles. We don't do lollipops, everything else. It's 100% truffles. Our customers are other candy store owners. They do make a lot of the other confections. So they're making all of the varieties that their customers are asking for, and they're buying our truffles because we can guarantee that we're going to get them our truffles at cheaper than they can make them because truffles are a very time-consuming, intricate process when you're making them by hand. We've invested in the machinery from Switzerland to help us be efficient at producing truffles and giving a consistent product and having that be carried out for years. And we're using 100-year-old recipes from my great-grandfather, so it's tried and true. Of course, we're always looking at ways to make it better, ingredients to make it cleaner, more delicious, but we're using the same chocolate, we're using the same, essentially the same recipe as we always have been. And we're just working on customer service is another thing to differentiate yourself. And that's a huge focus for us as well. So it's truffles and customer service, I would say, are two main focuses for the business. I'm thinking the efficiency also follows through in customer acquisition, right? You're only going after people who want to sell your your truffles, the wholesale market. Right. So you're not dividing your attention there either. Right. And we get a lot of people come to us and ask us to be at this wine show or something. And it's like, who's walking the show? Is it consumers? And they're like, yeah. And it's like, that's not our audience. It's 100% retailers or distributors or shop owners. So it's very focused. We're, as wholesalers also, we're able to shut down on weekends. We're able to shut down at nighttime. So it's a better quality of life. And that was really a big part of the motivation was quality of life, moving to Vermont, closer to the dairy cows, also skiing, also (laughs) outdoors. So it's always been quality of life and also quality of product and really having that balance. And that's really when we're going to be our best selves. You know, I often say, find your lane and then stay in it, right? Right. Yes. So your lane was taking into account a number of things, obviously, the family business, all the things you just said, the lifestyle, all of it, right? But there is always the tendency to kind of jump over and take that in and, okay, well, we'll just do that one sale. Yes. That one craft show or that one. Do you find that a challenge or are you guys so clear cut and focused you've got this down? Or do you ever think about drifting? When we came in, when we transitioned ownership, we sent out a market research survey to all of our existing customers. And we said, what do you guys want? We're here to listen. We will do boxed truffles if you want. We asked them, do you want us to expand? Do you want us to do other things other than truffles? We want to hear from you. What do you want Burn to provide you that we're not doing currently? And what was really important about that survey, or we felt that the feedback was going to be so important to us that we put a lot of energy and we had a budget for it. And everyone that filled out that survey that responded to us, they were given free shipping on a case of chocolate, their next order on one case. So it was so important to us to get that feedback from them that that's what we gave them. So we had a a really, really high return rate for that survey. And almost unanimously, it said, 
keep doing what you're doing. Do not stray. We have seen people do this and it does not go well. They told us that we're the last people they call as suppliers. They said, because we will ship it the same day. They're like, we don't have to worry about you. It's consistent. We know what we're going to get. Please don't change a thing. And we almost worried them because they said, "Uh oh, here are the new owners. They're all excited and we don't want them to get too off track. And so that really reined us in and said, "Okay, how can we better exactly what we're doing? And so we really focused on that and made some internal changes, as we always do, to just be more efficient, be more eco friendly, which is a, a focus that we're absolutely taking in the future and now and kind of going on from there. Right. So a company could have said, okay, no changes, status quo, things are going to go as they are. But you're not, you're continuing to perfect, not changing the product and all the careabouts from your customers, but always seeing how you can improve, which is perfect. Thank you for sharing that because that's so important. So let's bring a little further dose of reality into this. When was there something that didn't go the way you wanted? Some challenging moment. Ah, let's see. (laughs) There are many. (laughs) (laughs) Give me the best one. Okay. So we had a big issue with supplier a few years ago where they didn't have one of our main ingredients. It was just not available. They were taken over by a larger company and the manufacturing process was bottlenecked and they were out of our product. It is our main ingredient. (laughs) And my uncle always said, you're only as good as your source of supply. And our source of supply was dry, essentially. So we had to use, and again, a huge part of being successful in business, I think, is networking and building that community within your industry. And we reached out to everyone we knew and we said, hey, can you make this for us? We need this flavor match. We need this product from another manufacturer. And that was absolutely our hardest challenge, hands down. It was a scary time, but we worked through it. We never were out of product. It was very, very close, but we knew that with blending and with flavor matching and really focusing on consistently providing that customer service that we were going to be able to work through this and using the resources that we had to get a product out there that was absolutely matched the quality that we've always provided. But that was something that was by far our biggest challenge. Oh, I'm sure when you say it was your major (laughs) ingredient, for sure. Yes. Did the savior of the day retain the business? Is that who you're using now too? Absolutely. Uh (laughs) And we've also (laughs) buy from the other people too. So it's again, not having all of our eggs in one basket and learning that the hard way and having accounts with multiple vendors and having a relationship, a meaningful relationship with them, understanding that corporation can come in and it's by the numbers. And basically our ingredient was not one of the top numbers. So it wasn't put on the priority of production. So definitely knowing that and knowing that something could happen, chocolate's a commodity. So there's a lot of variables that can affect your business and always saying you're only as good as your source of supply. If you're creating something, but you're not able to get the raw ingredients, you have no product. So never letting that go dry or even close to, but also having potentially multiple vendors or multiple sources is definitely was a a lesson learned for us. (laughs) Really good lesson for all of us here too, as well. Okay, so something else I want to touch on that we talked about briefly in our pre-chat. And I also noticed as you were sending me the information as we were preparing to be able to sit down and talk today is your presence on social media. Yes, you didn't find us, did you? No. (laughs) I know. So yes, this is an interesting thing for us. It's when we took over, people thought that we would be all over social media. Maybe my dad and uncle weren't quite as familiar with it was the thought. And we've heard that feedback from our customers, but we were really hesitant to be on social media because we are very much the manufacturers and kind of the white label behind the product. So our brand is not marketed in the consumer world. We are marketing to retailers, but consumers don't know the burn name. 
even here in Vermont, we do a ton of donations, as you can imagine, as a chocolate company. People do find us, but they don't know our brand from the marketplace. They know us as a manufacturer in the community. So it's been a strategic move to not be on social media because we're really wanting our customers to navigate that. Many of our customers in the past have used our truffles and branded them as their own. And I would say that was the majority. But right now, what we're seeing is a shift and we're seeing more people, I think due to social media, people are being more transparent. They want to show their customers, their true selves, what they do and what they make, and then also tell stories of the things that they're not making, that they're bringing in and being proud of that product, even if they don't make it, saying, if I did make this, it would be twice the amount. Here's a high quality product that we're getting. And this business has a really cool story. And I'm excited to tell you, I've met them at a trade show. I know the owners. So we're seeing that shift. And so I am dabbling and looking into potentially starting our social media accounts, but also very apprehensive about it because it's something that we would be starting from the ground up. And it's right now we don't have to manage that. That is something that is not on our radar. And so going into that, I am very apprehensive about opening kind of Pandora's box there. But I do think it's important. I do understand why so many people use it, especially when you're going direct to consumers. But still, we are people. We are dealing with people. Our customers are people and they want to know us and they want to see behind the scenes. And so I do appreciate that and understand that. And so I am thinking more about it and at least Instagram, Facebook, and just giving a little bit more behind the scenes as we see things shift. I think you're wise in having a strategy before you jump forward because, I mean, it is a whole other animal for right. sure. <laughs> and that's why we've stayed on this side of things. But it is funny when people come for a tour or people visit and they post something and we're not able to be properly tagged. And we've run into that before or people have been looking for our Instagram. We have beautiful product. So it is something that I think we have a bunch of beautiful photos and photography of our product. And it'd be great to be able to share that on an easy platform like Instagram. But it's, again, just another thing. Right. Well, I think the reason behind why you would do it makes a lot of sense. And I like the fact that you're treading slowly. Like I said before, making a strategy and really being very intentional about what your move will be. Exactly. And I think for our listeners, the point here is you guys are such a successful business. And some of us now think social media, because let's face it, it's not new anymore, but it's still newer compared to print or TV and more reasonably priced, although that's changing too. But it seems like the obvious way you should be marketing your business. And it's not necessarily what everybody needs to do, particularly to the full-blown level. Like you don't have to be on all the platforms. Each platform is different. It has a different nature, etc. And to do single platform well with intent, like you just heard about Julia saying, well, here are the reasons why we're thinking maybe we do want to start. And I'm thinking it'll be really interesting to watch your progression when you do. I don't think it's if you do, I think it'll probably be when you do. But you're starting now from a clean slate where the social media groundwork has already been established. Like there's super solid platforms out there. You're talking Instagram, Facebook, etc. It'll be really interesting to watch how you approach this. Yes. And I do agree that it is most likely when and not if. And that's what we're currently working on a few things and exactly we want to do it with intent. And so we want it to have purpose other than just us posting photos of what we're doing. We want it to, what do our customers want? Why are we doing this? And so it has to have intent. We have to be strategic about it. Overall, as a business, we are quite conservative and we do make decisions based on a lot of background strategic planning. So again, another part of that part of the mix there. It's a biggie, for sure. <laughs> yes. For sure. Okay, any advice for somebody who's listening to us today, thinking of starting a business, 
not picking up from a family business, so starting fresh. And in a way, you guys had a little bit of the goodness of both because you already knew what your product was going to be. There were systems in place, but you were analyzing and willing to make changes and adjustments based on what you thought should move forward too. But any advice for someone who's about to get started but just can't get themselves to put their foot over that starting line? Sure. (laughs) I would say a few things. So networking is huge. And I have that is something that helps me in life in general, having my network of friends, but in business, it's even more valuable in a way. So reaching out to the Chamber of Commerce saying, this is what I'm thinking, who should I be talking with? We do work with the Refugee Resettlement Program. That's where we've retained a lot of our employees over the years. So it's really talking to community and asking what resources do we have? I think people will be surprised at what is probably already in place. We also have incredible business classes locally through our colleges, through different state and federal funded programs where I've taken multiple business classes, leadership classes, and just really delving in, learning from each other, being open and honest and asking all the questions you can and then and doing it and jumping in and saying, I can do this and understand there will be failure before success and to not give up. And so not throw all your money into it all at once. I would say start small, but also investing in the future is a big part of that. So getting the machinery to be more efficient has been a big step and a big part of our success is always having those big dreams, but doing it in small chunks. But I would definitely say getting involved, networking, and just staying positive. Perfect. Love it. So (laughs) what do you see for the future for you? So I would say our goals, our dreams, in a way, it feels like our dreams have already come true. We're living it. We've done the transition. We have a healthy business, but I would love to see continuous and healthy, sustainable growth for our company. We are not trying to quadruple in size and become this monster. We're really happy with the size of our company. Obviously, we'll need growth to be sustainable, but we want it to be healthy growth. And we don't want to have three shifts and triple the employees. We have a really healthy kind of ecosystem right now, but we want to create and continue to create an enjoyable space for our employees. I would say we would love to be, if we're talking goals, net zero energy chocolate factory. That would be really cool. We just installed a huge solar system on our roof this past summer. So we're just starting to see these have been the darkest months in Vermont, obviously, these past few months. So we're already starting to see more sunshine coming and we're getting a return on that energy, which is really exciting. So I think that's what we're looking for in the future. Just continue the trajectory and hoping people still eat chocolate when they're happy or sad. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, continuing to just focus on being the best truffle manufacturers out there. I love it. And I don't think you need to have any concerns about people not still loving chocolate. I think you're good there. Yes, I (laughs) hope so. I agree. (laughs) Well, Julia, thank you so much. I've loved hearing your story. It's so interesting, unique, and different just because of the four generations and how the transition was made. Your father in particular must be so proud of you and just how you've taken this on, what you're doing for the future. Does he still play a little bit of a role? Is he allowed to come in and have chocolate? Let me ask that. Yes. Free chocolate for life was absolutely in our contract (laughs) for both my dad and uncle. That was hands down. That was something that I came up with and said, of course. And yes, they come in, they come in and say hello to our employees. They come in really for chocolate, for dinner parties and for, you know, their events. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, they have to come in and kind of check in and they are officially our consultants. So they do have to answer their phone whenever we call them, (laughs) wherever they may be in this world. And we're really excited and I'm very satisfied and feel grateful for the opportunity and that they're really having enjoying their retirement. They were able to retire at a time where they're very able-bodied and they're traveling and enjoying themselves very much. And so that's really rewarding for me to see that. 
Beautiful. Well, you know, I equate chocolate with smiles, and that's exactly what you're sharing with us, a business full of smiles. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much, Sue, for having me, and I hope you have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you again soon. Yes, for sure we will. I saw in The Profit a few weeks ago that a third-generation business has a 90% failure rate. Well, Burn is definitely not one of them. They're going stronger than ever, and it's because of the solid business measures Julia and Mel learned from their predecessors and what they're putting in place today. This is definitely a business to model when it comes to strategy. Next week, we're bringing back a past guest who has new information for us. I'm happy to say it's a topic you've been asking to hear more about. FAIR. So mark your calendars or subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And I'll catch you again next week. And until then, be well. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today.